are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be joined by Evan Damerell from Locked On Cavaliers as the NBA and NBA Players Association have come to terms on a new collective bargaining agreement. All the important details you need to know about the new CBA, including the NBA's new in-season tournament, award voting, and salary cap changes. Then, we chat with Sean Woodley from Locked On Raptors is looking more and more likely that Nick Nurse may be on his way out as the Raptors has head coach and Ime Odoka appears to be the front runner to replace him. Why has Nurse seemingly run his course in Toronto and would Udoka be a good replacement? Lastly, we chat with Jake Madison from Locked On Pelicans. The New Orleans Pelicans are trying to cement themselves as one of the top six seeds in the Western Conference. How has Brandon Ingram stepped up without Zion Williamson this season and with very little time remaining in the schedule, does trying to bring Zion back make sense at this point? Now, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day, free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Cavaliers, Evan Damarell, who you can find wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Cavaliers here to break down and discuss the sweeping changes to the new NBA CBA going to effect. So first off, Evan, no lockout. How nice is it that we're not going to have to worry about a lockout with this new CBA discussion, agreement, negotiation, all that? That's a really good question because I experienced a lockout my senior year of high school going into my freshman year of college. And it was a little weird seeing everyone come back like right around Christmas. And I, I fondly remember at least in recent memory that uh, Donovan Mitchell, cause he's uh, one of the VPs for the uh, players association said like one of his biggest goals was to avoid a lockout whatsoever. So like, you know what? Hey, Two thumbs up. Mission accomplished, Donovan. You did it. So Mission certainly accomplished. And there are some sweeping changes here to the CBA. The, the, well, the one we're going to lead with here, the thing that we've heard about so much for so long now, the in-season mm-hmm. tournament is going to be a thing, uh, Some you know, a, a quick little synopsis of what the tournament's going to look like. First round of the tournament will be part of the regular season with the top eight teams advancing to a single elimination event in December. The The final four that we're calling it uh, will be played at a neutral location with Las Vegas uh, currently receiving consideration to host that little, you know, final tally of the tournament. Basically, teams are going to start with 80 regular season games, and then at some point, uh, the leftover games will make up the rest of the schedule, and then the teams that do advance deeper into the tournament will wind up playing 83 total games. That 83rd game won't be counted as far as... Mm -hmm you know, regular season standing, statistics, whatever, that kind of thing. I like that they're adding the tournament, Evan. I personally think that it's nice trying to shake things up and add a little bit of excitement to the regular season. I agree. I think it'll, it makes it super fun. Like, I think I wrote about this for my uh, newsletter right down Euclid, my website. Um, it, it makes it championship or at least high stakes basketball from the beginning of the season until whenever this theoretical, it, it could be mid season. It could be at any point, like whatever you consider the quote unquote mid season for the NBA is when it'll happen. But I think it makes it fun. It makes it interesting. I, I know like the $500,000 cash bonus is like a nice incentive, but there's other ways the NBA could do this. Maybe they like approach that the MLB does at the all-star game and they like say like, okay, 
the team that represents said conference gets home court in the NBA finals or something like that. Like that's like, that's a fun edge or like the team that wins the tournament gets home court through the playoffs. Like that's super fascinating too. Um, My only issue with it is, is it kind of goes hand in hand with the new award regulations, but there is the risk of injury. Sure. This is a regular season game, but like, now that you have these guys playing like high level basketball, one through 82, like there is a good chance and, you know, knock on what this never happens, but it's still a possibility that like guys get hurt. And because of the, either this tournament or just the fact that like the grind becomes a little bit more of a grind starting from the season versus the regular, the end of the regular season. And that's, that's my only hang up with it. Like it's going to be fun because it's just a fresh new concept, at least I'm, ex- I'm fascinated really to see like how they expand upon it and how many like, parallels they take from the G League with the Winter Showcase. And there's going to be prize money for the in-season tournament. Uh, the, the winner of the in-season tournament will receive, every player on the team will receive $500,000 per player. That is a life-changing amount of money for guys who are on like minimum contract deals, like yeah. fringe, fringe NBA players. Obviously, that's not, you know, to drop I in the bucket for a guy like you LeBron. And I, and I was like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, sure, I'd love 500 grand. There we go, right? Hey, so put, put me on a 10-day contract, coach. Like, come on, I can go hit a couple free throws. Um, you mentioned it a moment ago, there are changes to the All-NBA and postseason awards voting uh first uh, you know first of many changes here uh 65 games to be eligible for awards like MVP, Rookie of the Year, All-NBA, all of those. Uh, and this is the big one. They are dropping the position requirement from the All-NBA mm-hmm. teams. A- another change, honestly, Evan, that I love because, like, you look at this season, right? The two be- two of the best players in the NBA this year, Embiid and Jokic, duking it out mm-hmm. for MVP. One of those guys is not going to make All-NBA first team this year, and that feels mm-hmm. like a travesty given how well they're both playing. That's a good way to put it because it is always interesting to think like, hey, this is the guy who won MVP. Uh, does he get first, second, third team all NBA honors? Same for the guy who finished like second, third in MVP voting. Same for like any of the positional awards, whether it's uh defensive player of the year, most improved player, sixth man of the year, like guys are in this conversation. And more than anything, like basketball is just so positionless at this point that it's really hard to gauge like what is a proper position? I mean, my the team I cover, at least, like the Cleveland Cavaliers, they played three centers last season. One of them was a small forward and one was a power forward. And, like, I think just it's a trend in the way things are going. I think the 65 minimum makes sense because you're trying to discourage team to do this load management movement so, like, fans get a better return on their experience and everything like that. But And 65 it, is still a good threshold where you can sustain, is. like, an injury and miss, like, a month or so of the season and still be eligible for some of these major awards. Oh, absolutely. Like, you're absolutely eligible for these major awards. And the only time I just have a pause with it is just when it go and agents negotiate um, extensions or things like that. And they have, like, clauses in the contract saying, like, oh, my client when they get all NBA honors or they open the MVP or XYZ. And, like, this helps out in situations where you look at, like, Evan Mobley, who should have been rookie of the year, and Scotty Barnes wins it just because of recency bias. And you flip the script a little bit here, and now it's just like, oh, these guys have, like, money on the line. And, like, that's the only time I have an issue is, like, these guys can't get the maximum bag that they deserve. But we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I think that's the exciting part of the CBA and the fact that this is like a seven year deal with six years of it being guaranteed with the final year being like a mutual like back out kind of situation. So there's going to be some trial and error, I think. And obviously just like we're getting like little snippets, little breadcrumbs in the ether. But like the the stuff that's manifesting, it, it makes sense because load management has been an issue for a while. And I think the NBA just kind of wants to 
push away from that and make sure that fans aren't complaining that they can't see Luka Doncic on a certain night or just really any star player in the NBA. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a really bad feeling if a star player comes to visit your city and it's like the one time a year that they're going to be there, they wind up load managing or whatever. It's it's just not a great feeling, unfortunately. And mm-hmm. I, I commend the NBA for trying to combat it, but also, you know, taking into account, hey, you know, resting your star player, it is an important part of the game. It exactly. is a grueling 82-game season. Getting into some of the, uh, the numbers of the new CBA here, uh, they are instilling a second tax apron, so kind of a, mm-hmm. a penalty here for teams that are deeper in the luxury tax. In the new CBA, the NBA is implementing a second tax apron that will be $17.5 million above the tax line. Teams above the second apron will have a new set of restrictions such as they won't have access to the taxpayer mid-level exception. They won't be able to trade away first-round picks seven years down the road. They won't be allowed to sign free agents on the buyout market. They won't be permitted to send out cash in trades and they won't be able to take back more salary in trade than they send out. A lot of restrictions trying to maybe limit some of the maneuverability of the teams that are deep in the luxury tax here. I mean, at this point, you just listed what the teams that are maybe above this new luxury apron can do. But <laughs> right? um, I think just in the scope of 30, a 30 team league, this, this will create parity because you have teams like I'm not going to diss Oklahoma city because they're having a great year. But if I am a young man in my mid to late twenties and I have generational wealth on the line and I'm able to pick my destination. Yeah. I'd probably prefer like golden state or Los Angeles with the Clippers and maybe not playing with the thunder. And like there's, there's that vein of it, but in terms of just like flattening things or just kind of smoothing the curve a little bit, they want to prevent situations like golden state did where Steph Curry was on a very cheap contract because Steph Curry was off injured and they were able to have the salary cap space to sign Kevin Durant more money than anything. And then kind of wreck havoc on the league for a few years. And yeah, from the parody aspect, this is great, but from looking from the lens of just like Cavaliers coverage, this is also good because we can talk about it a bit more, but like the super max option is opened up a little bit more. Like teams aren't restricted to sign two players max to a super max. And in Cleveland's case, it's, it's Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. And now they can sign Evan Mobley, who naturally is going to get a super max contract because he's probably the second best player on the Cavs right now. And I'm not going to weep for the uh, finances of billionaires, but Hey, you know what? Pay these guys. Cause they are providing you so much more than you need to. But just based on my math, the only issue, just the smoothing of the cap is the Cavs would probably have about 139.5 million combined between Mobley, Mitchell Garland and Jared Allen when Evan Mobley's Supermax extension kicks in. And like that makes it a little precarious if you're a team like Cleveland and you're competing with all 29 other organizations at depth and selfishly, just because this is the team I cover on a day to day basis on locked on Cavs, like that could put a little bit of a ceiling on just like the overall production on the court, because you're not going to have like the four or five super teams where we look at the team, like the Cavs, they're kind of on the edge of becoming a super team and they just need to add depth. But maybe again, this will be an issue that kind of figures itself out over time and the market will figure itself out and teams will find ways to kind of do back channel things and figure it out. But I, I think this is a good move in the grand scheme of things just because small market teams like Cleveland or Oklahoma city. Again, like you have these players, you want to have the ability to maintain them and keep them after spending so much time, energy and resources in developing them, having the luxury of like saying, okay, we're going to commit 25% to 30% of our salary cap to you. 
is so much easier than like having a team like New York or Los Angeles who has zero stake in the like development aspect, but plenty of the money in the like off court luxuries to still your guys. Like this, this is a good thing for the overall product. It's just, it's hard for like upper teams. Um, just looking on the, from the outside in. There are certainly more angles and more minute details from the new CBA that are continuing to be leaked and, and getting out there. And we did not get a chance to cover all of it here, but be sure to check out all your local Locked On shows for more information about the CBA. How will the new CBA changes affect the NBA? Will the Cavaliers be one of the first teams to benefit from these changes with the designated extension rules? You're going to have us cover for all of that and more over at Locked On Cavaliers. Evan, I appreciate Absolutely. you stopping by Locked On NBA with me, man. I will give you a short answer. Yes, they will benefit from it. But thank you for having me. Anytime. Check me out a lot on Kaz if you are not sick of my voice or my face. Coming up, is Nick Nurse's time in Toronto coming to an end? And would Emu Odoka be a good replacement if the Raptors were to let Nurse go? We're going to get there in just one moment. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Next game, how about Brandon Ingram to score more than 26.5 points? What about Evan Mobley to grab more than 7.5 rebounds? How about Pascal Siakam to dish out less than 6.5 assists? Or what about Steph Curry to make more than 3.5 three-pointers? So what is Price Picks? It's daily fantasy sports, but how does it work? Basically, you pick two to six players, and if they score more or less than their Price Picks projection, you can win up to 25 times back on your money on any entry that you submit. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections made available. PrizePix offers projections on any sport that you watch. That's NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA. They've got you covered for everything. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that simple. They're safe. They offer fast withdrawals. Currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. If you deposit $100, PrizePix will give you $100. If you deposit $50, PrizePix will give you $50. So don't forget to enter promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day. Free and available on all podcast platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Raptors, Sean Woodley. You can find wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Raptors. Sean, there was a report that came out this past week by the Toronto Star that Nick Nurse could be on his way out as the Toronto Raptors head coach as early as this offseason. The report even named Ima Odoka as a possible replacement for Nick Nurse in Toronto. So where we need to start here is just why does it kind of feel like Nick Nurse has run his course in Toronto at this point? Yeah, I mean, look, nothing's confirmed. No, no one's committed to anything. Nick Nurse has spoken a couple of times about it in public and not made any sort of declarative thing. He says his focus is on this season and all that. But certainly the timing of it is weird with, you know, a week or two left in the season. The Raptors are deep in the play and push in the Eastern Conference. It feels like maybe this is a thing you could leave for the offseason. But, but the fact that it's come up now does make me question whether or not we're going to see Nick Nurse stick with this team beyond this offseason. And I think... The reasons for it, you know, it might just be time. I think that kind of is it. Nick Nurse is a really good coach. He is an excellent, excellent, excellent in-game tactician. 
the Raptors, whenever he's not their coach and they get to the playoffs next, they're going to miss his sort of pulling of the cranks and levers within a playoff game. He's proven he's really good at it. He's a championship coach. He's very good. He'll get scooped up by another team, whether it's Houston or someone else almost instantly. But sometimes change for the sake of change might just be okay. And with coaches, I think that's probably more so the case than anything else in basketball where, yeah, after five years of messaging, after five years of Nick Nurse calling dudes out pretty regularly in the, in the, in the public, after five years of Nick Nurse's defensive stylings maybe getting figured out by the NBA, it just kind of feels like maybe it's running its course. And it's just, it, it's not anyone's fault necessarily. Everyone has blame on their plate for what's gone on with the Raptors this season where they've only been 500 they've not been the team everyone thought they might be and it goes to the front office not assembling a complete roster it goes to the players not executing at all times or being healthy it goes to Nick Nurse maybe not coaching to his personnel super effectively and you get to the end of the season and it's like well we got to change something Nick Nurse maybe feels like the easiest thing to change and if he's already contemplating it himself maybe it makes it a pretty easy sort of mutual parting of the ways for both sides this offseason if it comes to that. I mean, and at this point, I, I know you mentioned it there a moment ago, saying, you know, he's a championship caliber coach. What would you say to anybody who kind of doubts Nurse's coaching style? And I, I've seen a lot of, you know, people who are maybe anti-Nick Nurse saying, well, he just lucked into a championship his rookie season. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's dumb. Uh, <laughs> he's, a, he's a really good coach. You saw in that playoffs, uh, you know, in 2019, first of all, he took over a team that had all sorts of potential for combustion, right? You had Kyle Lowry having his best friend, DeMar DeRozan, traded away when everyone said he wasn't getting traded away. And Kyle Lowry was displeased about how the whole thing went down. You had Kawhi Leonard sitting there. You know, he played 60 games in that season. They had to balance the Kawhi games versus the Kawhi rest games and the giant specter of his pending free agency. The fact that the Raptors had gone all in to win a title that season with no certainty that Kawhi was going to be around beyond that. That was a heavy, heavy season to manage, and Nick Nurse did a really wonderful job managing it, managing the egos involved, and the on-court play was outstanding. Yes, he was helped in the defensive department by the arrival of Marc Gasol, who made it so they could play this pliable, multifaceted defense that could basically change up coverages every time down the floor. That's a thing he's notably lacked as some so, as the type of, type of player to direct his defense until Jakob Pertl just arrived a month and a half ago. And it's, you know, he's a really good coach. I don't know what to say. Like he, he had the, the playoff series against the Sixers. He goes huge and plays Serge Ibaka and Marc Gasol together. He goes box and one on Steph Curry in the conference finals. He throws Kawhi Leonard on Giannis in the, in the conference finals and it all works out well. It just, you know, it, it, sometimes things run their course. The message wears thin, the sort of the feelings between both sides sour for whatever reason. Again, it doesn't have to be nefarious. It's just the way things are. But if you look at Nick Nurse and think he's not a good coach, that's just wrong. Like he's coached. It wasn't even just the title team. The season after the Raptors were on a 60 win pace before the bubble ended that season without Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. And they were they were the talk of the NBA in terms of the way their defense was this beautiful sort of chaos agent forcing turnovers, forcing misses. It was really, really impressive. The personnel's not been there the last couple of years. Teams have figured out the way the Raptors play, and it's all led to where we are now, where it just feels very, very uneven and uncertain going forward. So Emo Odoko was named as what may be the potential front runner to potentially replace Nick Nurse. How would you feel about him possibly taking over the mantle of head coach in Toronto for this team? 
Truthfully, like not awesome. I mean, I know he's a very good coach, but clearly what he did in Boston, even though we don't have the full picture necessarily of everything that went down there, clearly what he did was serious enough to warrant a one-year suspension by a team that he had just carried to the NBA Finals. And I don't really understand the rush. We saw it with the Nets earlier in the season, the sort of rumors around him there. And now with the Raptors, like I don't really get the rush to like go get this guy back into the NBA. I'm sure Ime Odoka is a very good coach. It's totally possible. He's learned from whatever happened. The Raptors will surely give you the line of we're going to do our due diligence if they look into hiring a guy like Ime Odoka. This is also a team that, you know, brought in Rodion's Kuruks after doing their due diligence. If you go look at what he's done in the past, there's maybe a little bit of a flaw in trusting a franchise at their word when it comes to this type of stuff and they're doing their due diligence. It's just what they say because they have to say it. It's possible Ime Odoka ends up the Raptors coach and you know they, they do the deep dive investigatively and everything comes up clean and he is the head coach going forward. But for me, like there's a wide, wide pool of potential head coaches. Why, when you're changing over head coaches, when you have an ascendant star in Scotty Barnes, when you have a very... Interesting offseason with three pending UFAs and a couple of other key players who could, in theory, be on the trade block if things go certain ways. Why would you invite all that's going to come with bringing in Ime Odoka, minus all the moral implications of it when it comes to the women in your own franchise? It to me just like it's an unforced error to go and make that hire. Just stay away. Go hire one of the other thousands of people who are qualified to be an NBA coach. Maybe that's putting it strongly. Dozens, hundreds, tens, whatever it is. There's plenty who are not Ime Odoka that could go be the Toronto Raptors coach. And that's kind of where I sit with it, barring more information coming out about what actually happened while he was in Boston. And the other uh, maybe small piece, big piece, depending on how do you want to look at it from the story was the fact that there's a there's a significant connection here between Nick Nurse and Houston and that the Rockets mm-hmm. might actually be a front runner to land Nick Nurse should he move on from the Raptors organization. I, I mean, at this point, Sean, how would you kind of best define Nick Nurse's coaching style and how it might translate to an incredibly young team like the Houston Rockets? Yeah, it's two ways with this, right? He used to be a G League coach. He used to coach in the British Basketball League and all over. Like, he, I think, has experience working with young players and developing players along. I think that's kind of where he made his bones before getting hired by the Raptors. But since being hired by the Raptors... To me, he's kind of given off more of a vibe of this is a coach for a team that's going in full mode to win a championship who maybe doesn't even care if they like their coach or whatever. It's just like, this guy's smart. We're going to have him drive us to a championship, put us over the top, if you will. He feels like the type of guy that a team like, say, Dallas should go after, a team that's a little closer to competing for a title. You might get similarities in terms of over-aggressive defense and persnickiness with the media that you get with Jason Kidd if you're hiring Nick Nurse, but... That's the type of team he feels like he's more suited to. The One of the big issues with the Raptors over the last couple of seasons has been the lack of development. Their pipeline has kind of gone dry. They used to, you know, kind of bring along prospects like, like nobody else in the league would, right? Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet on down the line. And that's dried up. And a big part of that is the young guys on this team have not gotten a ton of opportunity to play. I, I, I'm two ways on this because a, I think Nick nurse, you know, it's a chicken or egg thing, right? And you got to play these guys for them to learn on the fly, get accustomed to the NBA game. He has no time for set rotations or anything like that. And if a guy is not playing well, he's going to yank him. Whereas 
I also at the other side, like maybe these guys just aren't that talented and like maybe he shouldn't be playing Delano Banton heavy minutes or Malachi Flynn was always going to be a bit of a lost cause as the 29th overall pick who came into a team that wasn't suited to his skills and it's not Nick Nurse's fault. It's hard to say, but with the Rockets, a super young team with a lot of guys who are a not playing defense and b not really kind of doing a lot of the things Nick Nurse likes to see. I'm fascinated to see how that would go. He might be the tough love guy to get those guys kind of back on track and playing real sensible basketball. He also might be a kind of a difficult guy for bringing along younger talent. It's really hard to say. He's done pretty well with Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes was probably going to do well on his own anyway because he's really, really talented. But it's a it's certainly an interesting landing spot for Nurse. Definitely not one I would think off the top of my head of, oh, yeah, his next job's going to be in Houston. Yeah, that, that that's that's not something I would have predicted at the start of last week as a rumor that was going to come across the wire. Will Nick Nurse be leaving Toronto this offseason? Could Ime Odoka be his replacement? Of course, y'all have covered for all that and more over at Locked On Raptor. Sean, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Anytime, Jackson. Cheers. Coming up, how has Brandon Ingram stepped up for the New Orleans Pelicans this season without Zion Williamson and with... Very little time remaining in the season before the playoffs get here. Does trying to bring Zion back make sense? We're going to get there in just one moment, but first today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Look, when it comes to protein bars, you have to try Built Bar. They are the best protein bar on the market, and for good reason. Every single protein bar that they sell is covered in 100% delicious chocolate, and they come in so many incredible flavors like strawberry, salted caramel, raspberry, cookies and cream, peanut butter, my personal favorite, the coconut brownie chunk, but you really can't go wrong with a single bar on their menu. Every single bar is low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing if you're on a keto diet, amazing if you're trying to cut back a little bit, maybe lose a little bit of weight. You could check them out. Just go to Built com and use promo code locked on 15 to get 15% off your very next order of the best protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code locked on 15 for 15% off at built.com. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day, free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Pelicans, Jake Madison, who you can follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Pelicans. Jake, the Pelicans with a big win this weekend over the Clippers. Brandon Ingram dropping 36 points to counter the 40 by Kawhi Leonard. How big of a win was this against the Clippers that puts the Pelicans just a half game back of them in the standings for that sixth seed and kind of you know getting, getting them out of that play-in bracket territory, right, to a guaranteed playoff spot? Yeah, it's huge. You know, if you don't need to play extra games that are do or die to get into the postseason, you may as well try and avoid that. That's a real big thing because you never know what can happen in that. And the Pelicans took advantage of that last year against the same Clippers team where all of a sudden Paul George wasn't playing after being ruled out with illness. So to get within a half game back to have the tiebreaker over the Los Angeles Clippers, you know, really puts them in a good spot. But it goes beyond just kind of avoiding the playing tournament, I think. That win, you know, with only four games left to go for this team, more or less, I think, locks them into at least the play-in tournament in some part of the postseason. They've got a three-game lead as of when we're recording this over the Dallas Mavericks with four games yet to play. That seems pretty safe to at least get a taste of the postseason. And it shows that, you know, the play-in tournament works, right? You've still got meaningful games as we go down the stretch. So this is a lot of fun. And it's great to see a guy like Brandon Ingram playing probably the best basketball of his career as he's led this team without Zion Williamson recently. 
That's actually exactly what I wanted to ask you about next because we're going to spend we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about Zion, but I want to focus on Ingram here first because earlier this season, right, first 15 games or so, he was averaging a little bit under 21 points a night. Then he has his injury, he misses a significant chunk of the season, comes back, and post injury, I mean Ingram's been about 27 points a night, five boards, six assists. Just exactly how have you seen him step up in the absence of Zion for, for this team? Yeah, you know, the the issue with this Pelicans team all year long when they didn't have Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson out there in the lineup was offense. And it was leading to not scoring on one end and teams just running against this team and torching their defense, which has been really good in the half court all year and just not giving them opportunities to kind of be them be- their best selves. So over the past nine games, you've had Brandon Ingram just completely step up and the Pelicans are seven and two in that stretch. They're actually seven and one over their last eight if you want to shorten it a little bit. And he's averaging over 30 points per game, over five rebounds, and over eight assists. He's never had a career t- uh, a triple-double until coming into this season, and he's had two in the last six games now. He's playing the best basketball of his career. The Pelicans are getting points. They're using him more as a point forward, kind of running the offense through him, moving C.J. McCollum off ball. That's turned. That's caused the turnovers to drop, I think, and that means teams aren't able to get in transition and run against your defense, so you can get your defense set and play in the half court. So all of these things really work together for the New Orleans Pelicans. Just getting Brandon Ingram into advantageous spots and letting him create for others has worked. Their offense, when they were struggling to score, was get the ball to Brandon Ingram at the top of the three-point line, let him dribble the ball until there's about 12 seconds left, and then he tries to drive and attack, but at that point, it's easy to defend, and then he's got to take a contested long mid-range jumper, which he can make, but that's not exactly an efficient type of offense or the offense that you really want. So using him more as a point forward, getting the ball a little bit closer to the paint around the free throw line, using more off ball movement has just completely opened things up and transformed this Pelicans team. They have number one defense over the past seven games right now. And it's no shock to me, given that they're actually scoring at a high rate as well. So, Jake, we know what Zion can be when he's healthy, right? He's a superstar. He's incredibly talented. We've seen the production. We've seen what he can do when he's actually on the basketball court. But that's been the issue through four seasons for him is getting him on the court. Now, I know there's a bit of optimism, and I don't know if this is misplaced at this point, that he might still be able to make it back at some point this season. But I've got to ask you, I mean, is it even worth it at this point, right? Because you gotta have, you've got to imagine if he tries to come back in, right, how do you, you know, re-inject him into the lineup? You've got to reestablish chemistry. Is it going to be in game shape? He has to ramp up. Like, is it worth it to try and still bring Zion back at some point this season, be it in the first round or maybe the second round? Like, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I actually think we'll see him during the regular season. I think we'll see him at some point this week. I'm optimistic about that. We're going to get an update on his medical condition some point this week, likely on Tuesday or Wednesday would be my guess. And basically what we've heard is the next update is he's cleared to play. He's going through the ramp up process right now, going from, you know, one-on-one to five-on-five, trying to get a practice in there. So I think we'll see him at some point, assuming the Pelicans aren't eliminated and you'll finally get to see Zion in the postseason. What that's going to look like, I'm not sure yet, and that's actually going to be the topic of my Tuesday show on Locked On Pelicans. Should Zion come off the bench or should he get inserted into the starting lineup? And how would the Pelicans use him in that regard? 
but we know what he's capable of, as you said, right? He's going to be on a minutes restriction, but even on a minutes restriction, even if you're using him as a decoy, this is a guy that demands so much attention from opposing defenses. It's just going to open things up for everybody else. You can't double team Brandon Ingram on every single play when he's out there alongside Zion Williamson and to a lesser extent, CJ McCollum. So I think if you want to try and win a postseason series, yeah, it's with playing him. And the Pelicans have taken kind of a very cautious approach with his injury history here in New Orleans. They won't play him unless he's really medically ready to go and actually 100%. So if we do see him out there on the court, I think they're less concerned. They're, they're not really concerned about some sort of re-aggravation of a hamstring, even though those could be tricky and it really could potentially occur but you've got to get him out there even if it's for eight minutes you know a half something along those lines I think if you can do that and take advantage of those minutes you might have a chance at pulling off a first round upset because this team when they were fully healthy to start the year was number one in the Western Conference for a little bit they were top four in the Western Conference even without Brandon Ingram that's how good Zion Williamson is and if he can help you win a series you play him Bit of a silver lining here with the injuries earlier this season to Ingram and then to Zion. Trey Murphy III is a guy who has stepped up in a big way for this Pelicans team. As a starter, he's averaging 15 points on 49-42-91 shooting splits. I mean, just what has it been like kind of seeing him it kind of th almost thrown into the fire, right? Thrown into that starting lineup. He's there because of the Ingram injury. Then he's there because of the Zion injury. How What's it been like seeing him kind of progress through his sophomore campaign this year? It's it's not a huge shock. This was the guy that, you know, we kind of all predicted to have a breakout year for the Pelicans. They won their minutes with him as a rookie. When he was out there on the court, they were a better team. And you could kind of see that as a really good three-point shooter and a guy that can do it in large volume, he can go out there and he can really make an impact. It's tough to space the court for guys like Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson because they're so efficient. When Zion scores at 70%, you know, 70% at the rim, that's the equivalent of like a 45% shooter from three. You're never going to cover the shooter. You're just going to double team Zion Williamson. But Trey Murphy's pretty close to that. And you've seen a real quick trigger in that 41 point game he had against, was it the Los Angeles Clippers? I forget whatever team where he kind of exploded or Portland. He did that on no dribbles. They were all just pure catch and shoots with a quick release. The teams have to defend out there on the perimeter. So he's a guy that just really unlocks the Pelicans offense, I think in a really, really big way. And then as we saw during the dunk contest, there's more to his game than just three-point shooting. He can get the ball inside. He's really long. He grew over the summer. He's closer to 6'10 right now than whatever his listed height is. He can play inside, and now that he's learning how to attack closeouts, teams know he's going to shoot, so they're really closing out hard on him. Put the ball on the court and attack the basket, and he's starting to do that and really break defenses down. It's been a really good year for the sophomore player. He was snubbed during the dunk contest. I'm just going to put that out there right now, Jake. Yes. <laughs> uh, last thing for you here. What's the latest uh, update on Jose Alvarado? When can we expect to see him back? I'm not sure on that one. You know, at the game in the win against the Clippers, he's still in a walking boot, which is a little bit disappointing. So I think that means he's a little bit further out. My guess is there was some sort of setback with the stress reaction that he had to his shin. I don't know if we'll see him before the regular season ends. I really doubt that. And I doubt we'd end up seeing him in a first round playoff series as much as I'd like to see him out there on the court. Maybe if they advance and get into the second round, you'll see him there. But it doesn't appear that he's on the verge of returning like Zion Williamson is. Will the Pelicans be able to leapfrog the Clippers in the standings and lock up that sixth seed or maybe even the fifth seed before season's end? Will we get a look at postseason Zion? You'll have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On Pelicans. Jake, I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Of course. Thanks for having me on, Jackson.
And that's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. <laughs>